Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I have Chris Rosini with me from the Ron Paul Institute. If you watch the Ron Paul Liberty Report, you've seen Chris appear regularly as a co-host to discuss economic issues. And if you're not watching the Ron Paul Liberty Report, you better start starting tomorrow because you don't know what you're missing. And today we want to discuss what's going on with the economy, the dollar, and where we're going from here. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Tom, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So everyone's noticed that everything's going up at the grocery store and and at the gas pump. And basically what we're told by the Biden administration is that the economy is doing so doggone well and everybody's got the job of their dreams and that's forcing up demand and well, if you don't like the higher prices, you just must be tired of winning. Is that what's going on as far as you can see? Absolutely not. (laughs) What we're experiencing is the ramifications of earlier policy, which we all remember with COVID, the reaction to COVID, the government and the Federal Reserve specifically, they created trillions and trillions of dollars. If you're going to create trillions of dollars out of thin air and inject it, into the economy, it's going to drive up prices. Of course, government, you know, they never take responsibility for what they for what they do. So they start pointing at other things like Putin and Ukraine, and even trying to blame the virus itself as the cause of rising prices. But for those who are able to, you know, think two plus two equals four, you'll, you'll realize that, you know, it was all those trillions of dollars in spending, which, you know, for those who remember the heroic Thomas Massey, Representative Massey from Kentucky, tried to stop or slow down or get the the Congress to vote on, which they didn't even want to do. But he was right. This would create a e- economic, you know, problems with inflation. And that's what we're experiencing now. We've heard as you said, first it was, well, this is because of the pandemic. And then somewhere along the way, we got the Keynesian explanation, you know, the the economy's overheating. They're already on to blaming Putin. Now, the translation we might say is, look, it was the reaction to COVID, as you said, the money printing. 
but there is going to be an effect by the the reaction to the Ukraine war as well. Do you think we're feeling that yet, or are we just right now feeling the reaction to COVID and still more pain to come later from you? My understanding is that you, the Europeans are feeling worse, the Russian sanctions, and will continue to do so. My understanding is we don't get as you know that much, a small percentage of gas from Russia. We should be concerned about food because Russia and Ukraine are big exporters of grains. So that we definitely should be aware of, and we're shooting ourselves in the foot by sanctioning them and cutting off trade. And then there's also what is happening in Shanghai with the lockdowns there, which are very peculiar, but there are ships that are just waiting out in the, the waters, and that is a major manufacturing, and anybody uh, that goes to the stores realizes that most of what we buy comes from China. So there are a lot of factors involved, and then when you multiply the, the money printing on top of it, it's just all bad, and it is going to get worse. I've heard that we're not going to suffer directly from these sanctions, but is there anything to the argument that we're lowering the world supply of some of these commodities like natural gas or oil, and that eventually that's going to affect us as far as even the prices we pay, even if we're not buying it from Russia we're all competing for a smaller supply. Yeah, there, I believe there may be some truth to that. But what Russia will not sell to Europe, they will sell elsewhere. China is, they're licking their chops. They're going to be able to buy uh, cheaper from Russia. We know that India, there's you know, many, many nations are not on board with this, despite what we are told in the media, that they're isolating Russia and this and that, and they're going to, but you know, much of the world is still doing business with Russia. So the the uh, and that's why Europe who is very dependent on Russia is going to suffer uh greatly and by extension we will too. So yeah, I, but as far as a smaller pie I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I have the answer to that, but uh, it's 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 not good. The the policies that they're enacting that they think are for the good are only harming themselves. So the thing that doesn't add up here right away is that the dollar is appreciating on the U.S. dollar index. So it broke through 100. And you would think with prices rising, and I guess it was $16 trillion in extra money added to M1, that the dollar would be weaker. So what's going on there? From my view is that it, the dollar still despite all that we go through and have been through, is still considered a safe haven because of the U.S. government. So if people are afraid of a war coming up in Europe, which is a possibility, unfortunately, you know, they will f f uh, flee to dollars. And you could see that the euro is dropping. And then what we like to say on the Ron Paul Liberty Report, even though the dollar may look good, it's compared to all the other bad currencies. So I, I used recently the, the analogy that if you have a whole classroom full of F students and you're the 1D, <laughs> well, you can be like, yeah, look at me, but you're all terrible. You're just, <laughs> you know, the least terrible out of the whole bunch. Pretty much all of this century, I've heard people saying like, okay, this is it. This is the last trick the Fed has. They can't blow up another bubble because it's all going to come to a head and to some extent, we've got price inflation now greater than we're used to. We always have it, 
But is there any argument that, like you just said, the D student in the classroom ends up getting all of the, the, the demand that disappears from, I'm thinking of the Euro and the yen are both plummeting right now. So can the Fed pull off one more bubble based on all the demand disappearing for the euro and the yen and it all going to the dollar? Or do you think this is it? <laughs> it's, you know, they always, they're like magicians. You always think they're, they have the last rabbit. But, you know, this is a global scheme, which is why it takes so long. If the Fed was a little local Ponzi scheme, it would last, you know, not very long before the whole thing falls apart. And if it was statewide, it would last a little longer. Countrywide, even longer still. But they, this is a global Ponzi scheme. So, and this is a big world we live in. It's massive. And they have a lot of levers to pull with their military, with the sanctions on who's going to buy the U.S. debt. You, you know, somebody drops out like China or Russia and another one of the U.S. puppets will come in and, and start buying. So they have a lot of levers and it's so big. So you always wonder, well, how much longer can this last? And nobody, even the Fed themselves or the people that are pulling all these levers, knows the answer. The only thing we know is they're going to keep trying and keep propping this thing up as long as they possibly can. From my view, it looks like, you know, they're really cornering themselves. Either they're going to have to keep inflating, which will keep putting pr upward pressure on prices, or they're going to actually have to raise interest rates and then collapse this massive bubble that they uh, created. And this is the problem that central planners always end up in. They paint themselves into a corner because you can't uh, centrally plan the economy, the world, the planet. You know, in their dreams they can, but you could, you know, act on it only for so long and then you're going to paint yourself into a corner where every move you make will be disaster. And it looks like that's where we're at. I guess we're going to see how it goes going forward. A lot of people think of the stock market first and foremost when they think, well, how's the economy doing? Which doesn't always really uh, mean the economy is doing better or worse with the stock market. It's come down a little bit. How do you see the actual Main Street economy right now? And where do you think it's going this year? Well, that will depend on what the Fed does. And it's really sad that we live in a world where we're depending on a few people that, you know, work in the marble palace that make decisions like the uh, Soviet commentary does. But that's how it is. We, depending on what they do, will depend on what, you know, ramifications we see. You're right about the stock market. The stock market could go down as so quick, you know, and it comes down a lot faster. Uh, then it goes up because fear is a much stronger emotion. So once people get afraid, that that could come crashing down very, very quickly. Can How would the Fed react by inflating more money? That's the only tool they have. Based on what I see just in my anecdotal personal life, I mean, it's, you know, we're not starving yet. There's still food on the shelves. There, there are... You know, here and there, some shortages of products, but I don't see major disruption. The one thing that I'm sure, Tom, you experienced too, and your life too, is the, it is noticeable how much we're paying in gas at the supermarket. My supermarket bill has gone up substantially. So, you know, as, and that on an, on a economy of people who are largely in debt, largely dependent on the state, 
you know, there's only so much that we can take before things start to uh, fall apart. Do you have an idea about how the U.S. economy compares, let's say, with where Europe is? And again, I'm talking more about the, the organic economy rather than the currency or the stock markets. And I know that all those things are related. But how does the U.S. economy doing compared to everybody else in the West? I guess I should even make it narrower. The so-called allies in this Russia-China-U.S. standoff, what kind of shape are we in compared to what kind of shape they're in? You know, it's hard to say because the way things are measured, and we talked about this on Friday with GDP, you know, it's GDP, when you look at ours, and if it recently turned negative for a quarter, but the way they measure it is, you know, our economy is growing if the GDP is going up, but the GDP measures government spending as a positive, which it most certainly is not. You know, government spending largely is waste. So, but when people turn on the television, they see GDP is up, it's growing. Well, you know, that's what they're saying on TV. But what is it in, in, in reality? You know, is life as good as they say if the stock market is up near highs? You know, they could make certain things look a certain way and they could even tell you there is no inflation, which they tried to do for a little while. <laughs> So it's hard to say how it actually is outside of your own personal experiences. And, you know, I don't live in Europe and I don't really know many Europeans, so I don't know what it's like their day-to-day -day life. But, you know, like what I said in your last question, at least here in my personal life, it's not a major, it's, it's not terrible. We're not struggling to survive at this moment. That can change, of course. So are we doing better than other nations? It's, you know, I don't know if a simple yes or no question just based on their GDP versus our GDP is, you know, a good enough answer. And if it's, uh, you know, very accurate to say either way. It's a great point because I've looked at all these different numbers and I think Russia's GDP is somewhere in the two trillions. It might even be a little bit under that. But you have the feeling that there's something screwy about the way things are priced because they seem awfully strong and they seem to be able to wage this war, even though we'd rather they didn't, with something like a $70 billion a year military. And here we are with almost $800 billion and we seem to be, you know, always short. Boy, do we got to rebuild the military. So yeah, there's something there. You say that we should subtract government spending from GDP. That's an interesting question because when I think through that, that's my first instinct. But then again, the problem with government spending is it spends things on what we don't need or doesn't have any utility. But let's just say it did build a bridge. So I guess we have to measure while well, a bridge was built, right? Even though nobody would voluntarily pay for it. How do you work all that out? Yeah, I mean, I personally, in an ideal world, would like to see government do as little, little as possible. And if it got down to roads and bridges, we would be about a million times better than we are today. You just mentioned the $800 billion in military spending. I mean, that is... It's insane. And here's, here's the funny thing. We're supposed to believe that little Ukraine 
by itself is beating and going to beat Russia, who supposedly we need all this $800 billion sent to our military for. So if little Ukraine is able to defeat Russia, why, why are we spending $800 billion? And that number, $800 billion, is a bigger number than we could wrap our head around. You know, So if it got down to, okay, we need to build a bridge, you know, we're in a much better shape than we are, you know, today where government is literally spending money on and wasting money and just, you know, who knows where the money go, you know, today, the way the way things are set up with government spending. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. I remember when the military budget was more like 680, 700 billion, and we couldn't cut it at all because Iran was this great danger. And I looked up their spending and it was 12 billion. So <laughs> we couldn't go from 680, let's say just to 600 because you know $12 billion a year, Iran was this big threat. And and I guess the rest of the four trillion a year goes to the roads. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's you know if if we had a military that defended our nation, our coasts, our borders, you know they don't defend our borders. They'll, you know we're spending uh, thirty three billion for Ukraine's border. So if they did that, that's you know you know how much less it would be, but. You know, this system, we have a crony capitalist system, a, a marriage of corporation and state. And it is just, you know, they, it's, we saw it with the big pharma with the vaccines. Now those vaccines are being thrown in the trash largely, but they got paid with taxpayer money. So the military, they have it, you know, people conditioned in this country that you must spend all this money. And who knows, you know, we, we know how much they waste. We hear about the F-35, all these carriers. I mean, it's just waste, but the money does go into people's pockets and they live very, very well. Anybody who has never been to the East Coast or the Washington, D.C. area, you'll see how they live and they live, you know, glamorous lives off the taxpayer's back. 
And all they have to do is convince you that it's necessary. And a lot of people are convinced. And at this moment, they're still okay with it, at least enough for them to keep this thing going. We've had a rousing debate out here in Western New York over the Buffalo Bills Stadium, which it's very strange. And I've done some work with the NFL in a past life. Some of the stadiums are actually owned by the teams. The one here in Buffalo is owned by Erie County, which is the county that Buffalo's in. And there's this big debate with the state and negotiation about how much the bills are going to put in, how much the county is going to put in the taxpayers. So how do we get to the point? I understand, not, not that I agree with it, where people will say something like, well, the water utility has to be owned by the government. So everybody gets water and no one's making a profit off it. I don't agree with that reasoning, but at least it's there. Nobody needs a football stadium. How did the governments ever get into that business? If you know. Well, most of what government does, they shouldn't be doing. But then again, a lot of people think that they should. Yeah, I, I personally believe that when you go to work and you earn money, that those earnings are yours and you have the right on how to allocate that money. You worked for it, so you will use it how you please. The way it works, though, is no, they're going to take your money and they're going to use it how they please. And that's what it is with a stadium. That should be all privately owned and privately paid for. Not, you know, government collecting taxes by force, not by voluntary, and then going and enriching, you know, whoever's going to, you know, the, the, the teams, you know, and, and the focus is on, oh, well, look, look at what we have now. That's, that's what you see. See this big stadium, see the team, see all the rustling and bustling in the economy. They'll point to what you can see. The problem is you never get to see what could have happened with that money. You know, the money that could have been used for that was given to a private company to build a stadium, that could have been 10,000 vacations that people would have taken, operations that they would have had. You know, if they were able to hold on to their own money, they would have spent it on their own life. They worked. You know, if you need an operation, you go pay for it, not your money gets taken so that a stadium could be built. But, you know, that's all that gets uh, seen is, oh, look at what they've done. But you do not see the massive cost because nobody, you don't know what could have been done with that money. But you'll never know what people, if they were able to keep their money, what they would have done with it and who else would have received it for their services. That sounds something like Frederick Bastiat. What, what is it? What is seen and what is unseen or Henry Hazlitt's reasoning. And it makes a lot of sense. We have another project that right after we got done arguing about the Buffalo Bills, there's a section of town, the east side of town that used to in the old days be the Polish section. And we have this thing called the Broadway market, which is an awesome kind of bizarre style market. And this is another thing where people are very emotional about it especially the older people who remember what it was and somehow or other they talked New York state into sending them $170 million or something. And that's going into revitalize the market. Now everyone's going to be happy if it looks nicer and there's some improvements there. But as you said, somebody has to pay for that. And maybe somebody had other ideas with what they were going to do with that money. That's right. And, and, what you uh, explained is how government spending works. It's all political, whereas a person who risks their own money, who has to buy resources, pay for the resources, pay the workers, you know, 
they they have to make sure that this is going to be productive. This is what people want. This is what people are willing to pay for. With government, it's all about votes. You know, if they'll send X amount of money here, if they think politically, it will be good for them. And, you know, we live in a world with scarce resources. In the Garden of Eden, you go ahead and go do all this stuff. But we live in a world with scarce resources and unlimited wants. So we want to make sure that what is being done is not just done just for the sake of doing it. Anybody could go dig a ditch and go fill it back in and get paid for it. But what has been done? So it should be done rationally using profit and loss, profit and loss. People want this. There's lots of profit here. You know, they're, they literally want it because they literally are willing to part with their own money voluntarily and pay for it. But po politics, they don't deal with that kind of stuff. They think about votes. And if there's more votes in this market than somewhere else, then the market will get this taxpayer money. But again, like you, like you said, if it looks nice, people will, will you know, be, be happy, but they will never think about what else could have been done, you know, that they perhaps could have liked even more. But that's how it is with government spending. And usually the people who want it done, they're happy. Of uh, course. And a lot of the other people just don't realize because if you take a little bit out of everybody's paycheck and you concentrate it in one little project. And like you said, you get the votes from those people and you take a little more for another group of people. And pretty soon you've won an election. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's or somebody's right. poor at the end of that, but they don't realize it. I'm just thinking that some of these things are going to come to an end if scarcity makes itself more known in a deflationary environment. So if Jay Powell sticks to his guns and does enough with monetary policy to break the back of inflation, what are some of the things we're going to see in the real economy as a result? I expect that we will see a large correction perhaps a crash, who knows, in the stock market. Because for those who are familiar with the Austrian business cycle theory, they know that when interest rates are artificially suppressed, which is what the Fed does, you know, people take out loans that, you know, like a businessman or an entrepreneur to build things, you know, that when interest rates go up and there's a crunch, will not be able to be completed, you know, because you know, not without getting too technical, what you have is a consumer economy and the capital goods economy all at the same time, you know, spending money and resources get scarce, inflation gets high. So when they tighten the belts, all the people that started these projects, you know, they're going to have to liquidate and go out of business and lay people off because they were tricked into, you know, low interest rates. They, the interest rates were not naturally that low. The Fed artificially suppressed them, you know, so there will be a lot of liquidations. But, you know, the government also, they come in and politics plays in. They try to halt this process. So they make things even worse. The bottom line is it's whether you understand economics or not, is it's going to be bad, you know, <laughs> either way, whether it's prices continue rising or all the projects that have been started that it looks like things are great are going to have to stop and they're going to have massive layoffs with rising prices. So it's going to be bad either way. We really have, there's no way out of it, no matter what they say. The last time around, it was pretty obvious housing was where the biggest part of the bubble was. So we knew that a lot of people, well, not 
everybody knew, but your boss knew uh, years <laughs> in advance that a lot of people in housing were going to lose their jobs. I keep reading that things are different with housing this time, that that's not necessarily where the bubble is, that prices may come down. Do you have a sense where there might be some artificially inflated sector of the economy, or we just have to wait to find out? My understanding is that the housing bubble is even bigger now than it was in 08. And when you look at the there's some charts I look at, and it does look at, you see 2008 here, and, and we're here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one specific sector. It's hard to, because there are so many variables involved in our economy that it's hard to say, well, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. As far as building new homes, you know, when, when credit is tight, I'm sure that will be affected. But as far as you know, each individual, and we also have this BlackRock that are up there, they're buying all these homes. So there's a lot of factors involved. In housing specifically, I personally would would think that there would be, again, turmoil, but it may be depending on your location, you know, too. So that, that's a tricky one. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know where the bubble is until they pop it. And one thing about Austrian business cycle theory, it doesn't necessarily have to be some um, outlandish thing. It could just be a lot of businesses expanding beyond where they really should have, just producing a little too much of a good thing, more than there's real demand for. So any last thoughts on where we are and where you think we'll be by the end of the year? Yeah, I'm not good with timing things because there's just too many things that can happen. I mean, look, who who could have predicted that what we went through in the last two years with COVID, you know, and then you have this Russian war. So, you know, in general, you know, things just looking from an economic perspective and the Fed, they are in trouble. But, you know, if there's one thing about politicians, the Fed, central bankers, is they are masters at deflecting, you know, things off of themselves onto something else. And what that something else can be or is now, you don't know. But one thing that I would leave with people is, you know, go to like the Mises Institute, please watch the Ron Paul Liberty Report and learn just basic economics if you don't know it now. And it's it's not as scary as it may seem. I mean, it's just very basic principles. It's like learning, you know, basic math. And once you have just the basics down, and then you see what the politicians and the TV and the media do, you'd be like, oh, boy, they, you know, it's they live in a, an entirely different world, and they're lying constantly. So yeah, things economically are, are not going to be great either way. I still remember from 2008, and I haven't picked this up in a long time, but Ron Paul's book, The Revolution, and he says in it, when he's talking about the Fed, you know, something to the effect of, so where do they get the money to buy all these bonds? He says, they just write a check on themselves and make it up out of thin air. And he goes, if that sounds fishy, then you understand it just fine. <laughs> yeah. Because I think a lot of people think it's more complicated than that. And they hear about the Fed's toolbox and all this, but they've got one tool, right? Print. Right. 
And that's, you know, that explains also why we have the government that we have. Our government is, they have, financially, they should be reliant on us. If they want to do something, if they want to fight a war, if they want to increase a welfare program, you know, the people should have some financial say into it, yes or no. We have zero say because they tax us to a point, but after and after that, then they'll borrow from other countries. But then what happens is the government will create treasury bonds, meaning they'll create this bond. Hey, we need we need money. And the Federal Reserve will literally create money out of thin air. It, it doesn't exist one second. And now it exists and buy that treasury bond. So now this, the government has money to expand and do whatever they want, fight wars, increase welfare, free this, free that. They financially can do what they want within limits until they hit hyperinflation or a financial crisis that just wipes the whole you know, scheme out. But they, so the government, via proxy, via the Fed, creates money out of thin air. There is no way that you can live in a free society with a government that can create its own money and do what it wants. That is an unlimited government. And it's obvious with the government that we have, they have their hands in every single aspect of our life, uh, lives. And it's no surprise because they think that they could do whatever they want and pay for whatever they want. Well, Chris, I appreciate you being on today. I'm going to link to the channel for the Ron Paul Liberty Report and also, of course, to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Folks, when you see Daniel McAdams on there, then they're usually going to talk foreign policy. When you see Chris Rossini, that's when you're going to hear some economics. It's all worthwhile. You should tune in every day. Chris, I hope you'll be able to come back as we navigate our way through this disaster this year. Absolutely. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.